What makes a moment? What elevates a simple swing to the pantheon of golf's greatest shots? What transforms a performance into something so epic it's remembered forever? The birdie putt on the last hole of any open, it's the rarest thing in golf. A putt to win the championship. It's the most important shot of her life right here. Might be good. For 75 years, the U.S. Women's Open has turned moments into magic, providing the canvases for golfing artistry. And All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast here. Another week goes by, another big week in golf. We're going to get into it. We had the Senior PGA Championship at Southern Hills Golf Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we had the Charles Schwab Challenge in Texas. And coming up this week, we had, or last week, we had the ladies' match play, big event, eight rounds, lots of bloody socks, some blisters. And the ladies are on to a big week this week at Olympic Golf Club for the U.S. Open. Huge event. And uh, we've got a huge guest on today that we're going to get to shortly here. Beth Ann Nichols from uh, GolfWeek.com is going to join us live from Olympic Golf Club, live from the Ladies U.S. Open this week. So uh, we're excited to get to that. We're also going to cover a little uh, football. We're going to talk some Julio Jones, top five remaining free agents still on the board. And the news of the day, the new June 1st uh, trade cut rule here in the NFL, saving some teams some cap money, some deferred money as that cap went up, uh, like we'll discuss, over $200 million for the 2022 season. But let's get to uh, exactly where we should be this week, and that is the Ladies U.S. Open. It is our Ladies U.S. Open preview week here, and uh, let's talk about it. It is at the historic Olympic Golf Club in San Francisco, California. A Willie Watson design in 1924. Numerous restorations. Huge events. We've had five men's U.S. Opens. Now the first ladies' U.S. Open there. Um, par 71, the ladies are going to play it at 6,500 yards, which will be a huge test of golf. But um, what a track. We're going to have Dutch on as well to review it. Uphills, downhills, you've got to be able to work the ball off the tee. Severely bunkered green uh, green complexes. Um, so some iron play will be crucial this week. So it'll be interesting to see um, what comes of this week and how the golf course is set up from the USGA and what happens. But before we go any further, let's hop over into our interview with Beth Ann Nichols. Hope you enjoy. Live from the U.S. Women's Open. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a Triple G welcome to senior golf writer for GolfWeek.com. Just looking to make decent contact now over the weekends, but uh, she knows the uh, the LPG game, LPGA game inside and out, and that's Beth Ann Nichols. Beth, are you on the line with us? 
Yes, I am here in, in chilly San Francisco. <laughs> ah, so so the weather's not that great there today. No, there's the the marine layer is in, and uh, it's uh, it's overcast, but you know it's it's still beautiful, just in a different way. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, give our listeners a feel. What's the feel like there? You've been there now for for a day and a half, live at the event uh, for this Women's U.S. Open. What's the feel like there from the players? Are they enjoying the venue? Are, are they enjoying San Francisco? Uh, what are the early thoughts on the on the golf course? Give, give us a good feel for that. Yeah, I think I think big is a good word for it. It feels big. Uh, you know, the golf course is going to play long and, and tough. The rough is gnarly, uh, it, but it, it, you know, there's so much history here at Olympic, and I and I think players are really soaking that in because they're it's the first time the women have have had a chance to. Uh, compete in a championship at this fantastic venue and the, and the men have had five u.s opens here and five other usga championships so um it's always a an important thing when when women get to join a, a big part of history and that's what it feels like this week oh that's amazing and you know what it's uh up here in ontario it's um and in canada it's international women's golf day today that we're celebrating it so it's great to uh, great to have you on and great to to talk about um ladies golf you, you mentioned the rough and the uh, and the golf course. What is the setup like there? Are they going to try to get this thing um, as tough as possible right out of the gate, or are you hearing they want to kind of just wade into the water a little bit, see how the ladies and the girls handle this um, on Thursday and Friday, and then toughen the golf course up for the weekend, or are they going all out right off the hop? <laughs> well, I will tell you that they brought the mowers out yesterday. Uh, it it it. The rough has, has been um, extremely penal, and they came through um, Monday night, and they, uh, they, they, they cut it a little bit. But, but I was, in talking to players today, they're like, you know, it still just sinks down and it's still just as tough. So, um, you know, I think, the, um, I, I, I think everything about it is, is a grind. Uh, but I heard Patty Tavitanica today use the word fair. She, she, you know, she still felt like it was very fair, which I think is really important. So, um, so, you know, I think it's, you know, not a lot of, uh, of rounds under par, you know, or, or I should say at the end of the, at the end of the week, there aren't very many historically under par at this, at this course. And I, I expect we'll see something similar, uh, for the women here. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the, the victor be over par. Yeah, that makes total sense in terms of the Olympic and, and its history. Like you mentioned, what's the number one skill set, um, when we come down on Sunday afternoon here and we're handing over that trophy to the winner, what's the number one skill set that's going to be, you know, on display? Will it be, you know, um, mental toughness? Will it be somebody that can keep the ball in play or will it be the fact of a little bit of power? Like you mentioned that somebody that's going to be able to muscle the ball out of the rough a little bit and can handle the, the par 71, 6,500 yard um, Olympic club. You know, I think at the end of the day, I, I do think I, I, you know, it's hard because I want to say power is going to be important, but at the end of the day, I really think if you, if you keep it in the fairway here, <laughs> you know, and there are so many accurate players on, on tour that, you know, that I'm not ruling out an NB park, you know, who is, who obviously that's a silly thing to say, given that she has seven major titles and two U S open <laughs> uh, victories already. But, um, but, you know, NB is not long. So, yep. um, so you look at someone like NB and you say, well, you know, why not NB? But then, but, but, but wouldn't somebody like a Nelly Corda or Jess Corda or, or Patty Tavitanikid have an advantage or, or, 
or an area Dutana Garn who never hits driver, you know, and can just hit her two iron down the fairway all day. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, I, I think at the end of the day, accuracy is, is going to, to win the day. That's what my gut says. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, that certainly was the case when you look back at recent winners and Webb Simpson and, and Lee Jansen. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think history's on your side at that one. Um, we've heard Johnny Miller and, and, you know, him being a member and growing up here on this golf course, we've heard him talk about um, Olympic being a faders golf course. Um, as you get more familiar with the venue, do you see that being prevalent as I, as I go through, you know, the, the layouts uh, and I go through hole by hole and I see a lot of holes setting up that with, you know, a left to right shot off the tee. And, and, and I know you got to be able to work the balls both ways, but do you think, do you believe someone who fades the ball has a little bit of an advantage here this week? I do, but I, but I also think what you just said, being able to work the ball both ways is, uh, is important and, uh, you know, not, not all the younger players know, know how to do that. In fact, I just asked NB today uh, when she learned how to work the ball both ways. And she said it was when she started uh, working with her husband <laughs> as her instructor in, in 2012. Yeah. And, of course, you know, we all know how her game took off, you know, right after that. She won three majors in 2013. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, not every player has that in their, in their bag yet, <laughs> especially some of the youngsters. So, um, that, and that's premium here. So, um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see, to see how everything shakes out because, you know, I, you know, Kay Cockrell said to me the other day, she's like, you know, you might see a 66 or a 67, uh, player throw up a number like that. She's like, but I defied, defy them to try to do that four days in a row, you know? So, um, you know, she, she told me she'd come back and eat crow if, uh, <laughs> if she was wrong and somebody finishes, you know, seven under or something, but, uh, but, you know, I, so I think you might see your occasional low number, but being able to string that together is going to be, uh, you know, something extraordinary. Yeah. It'll be tough to do it over four days for sure. What, what part of this golf course is going to going to shine this week will it be the you know the tough stretch on holes four through eight where you've got you know a couple par threes that are par fours that are going to play you know 420 430 450 um or will it be somebody that's going to come up and and steal the golf tournament on sunday with you know the two par fives on on 16 and 17 and you know the short um par four to finish on on 18 what part of this golf course do you think really shines this week yeah, 16. If you if you miss it off the tee on 16, you might not even reach it in three. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just a monster. Such a beast. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if players can can reach 17. Uh, it's a back-to-back par fives there, obviously. Um, you know, number seven will, will be set up to be a drivable par four at some point uh, during the week. Uh, you know, so I think there will be a little bit of risk-reward, but um, – but, you know, what I, what I, and I think 18 is a, obviously a really interesting haul. I think we'll see a lot of four irons off the tee there. But, but I, what I don't, what I'm kind of hoping is it's not a chop out fest <laughs> where yep. you just see people, you know, chopping out of the rough all day and, and, and you know, kind of takes away from, um, you know, the beautiful character of the course, you know, so, so I think, honestly, I think the rough is going to be the biggest uh, factor this week and the most interesting thing to look at in terms of of how how it impacts play and how the USGA adjusts as the week goes on because you know women obviously are very different in terms of strength and and 
and how they're coming down on the golf ball. And, yep. and it's, it's, it's very different than, than the way the men have tackled this out here. So, um, obviously this isn't the USGA's first rodeo, <laughs> but, um, but it is the first time that the women have been here. Awesome. Well, I, I hope, um, you know, you, you mentioned that word fair earlier, um, in our chat here, and I, I hope that continues to stay, um, throughout Thursday all the way through, um, because we know sometimes at the, at the USGA events, it can get, uh, right on that borderline of fair and unfair for sure. Ab- Beth, absolutely. Yeah. Beth, and, um, something that, that I noticed and, and looking at the past champions here, and, and I know you, you've talked about this over, over the years with some of your articles, and we look at this spe- event specifically, 12 out of the last 16 winners here um, are from around the world. You know, you look at, uh, at Christy Kerr, Paula Creamer, Michelle Wee, and, and Brittany Lang as only the four American ladies that have won this event here in the last 16 tries. Who is it this week? Is it going to be one of the quarter twins? You know, who's going to be that, that American lady that, that steps to the plate and really takes this major championship down? You know, it would not be fun if it, if it was a Gorda. Um, uh, you know, I, I also, um, I think a gritty player like a Jennifer Cup show could be interesting. Uh, you know, the, the kind of player that, you know, is, is overdue uh, for, for victory and, and is, is gritty and might, might get it done here. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, this is an absolute long shot, but I also find it very interesting that you have two, two amateurs in the field that I, none of us would be surprised if they were contending on the weekend. Well, you know, winning is a whole different category, but uh, but I am really excited to see what Rose Zhang and and Rachel Heck do this week. Um, Rachel Heck, of course, extraordinary <laughs> uh, run in in college golf as a just won yep. the NCAA title and, and six victories in one semester and, and shot sixty six around here in a college event from tees further back than they'll play this week and Sunday pins from the 2012 U S open. So, um, you know, it was an extraordinary day and it was like 52 degrees and just brutally tough all the way around. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, I think for American players, you know, they just, they want this one so badly. They put so much pressure on themselves to win it and the longer they go waiting to win it the harder it is <laughs> you know yeah. so uh you almost look at you know some of the younger players as having a bit of an advantage and that sometimes ignorance is bliss you don't realize how hard it really is um so you know i i uh you know it's it's important though look it's really important that americans win this major and uh and and so so you know nothing against the rest of the world but um but it but you know you, you want some Americans in the mix. A hundred percent. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, um, it's great when, when it is a good mixture and, and America's got to be involved with that. You mentioned some of the younger girls have an advantage and, and I wanted to touch on a point here and get your thoughts on it. This, this event and, 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 you know, we call them, let's just say we call them girls. This is actually a, a field full of young ladies here. You, you start to look at it and, and break this down. We got, 15 players in this field 20 years or younger and only 13 players at 35 or older we look at the likes of phil mickelson on on the on the guy side and the pga tour side win the pga championship why is the ladies game opposite of that and we're seeing the younger players emerged and not some of the the older girls you know you look at christy kern angela stanford being um the, the oldest players in the field 
why is that ladies game different? Is it just the way it is or do you, do you think there's an explanation for it? Well, I think girls mature faster, uh, number one, and also in their, their bodies, you know, uh, and, and a lot of times for the men, it, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer for, for the men to catch up strength wise uh, to, gotcha. to be able to be able to compete at the highest level. Whereas someone like, you know, a Lydia Ko, you know, <laughs> won, yep. at, won at 15 and, you know, the likes of Brooke Henderson, Brooke Henderson and Lexi yeah. Thompson and, and all these all these phenoms who won as teenagers uh you know so and and had you know brooke and lexi obviously had great length you know as 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 teens so um i think that has a lot to do with it i also think you know you have more more girls um skip college and go straight to to the pros uh than you see on on the men's side they at least Mm -hmm. go for a, a handful of years usually and then on the flip side of that women retired uh, at, a, at a younger age, uh, mostly because they have families in many cases. And once once they either have a kid or they want to start a family or their kid reaches school age and can no longer travel with them full time, you know, uh, uh, they they move on to the next chapter of life. So there are a lot of factors that that uh, that have women starting their careers earlier and ending them earlier than than the men. But that being said, I was talking to Angela Stanford. Yep. Today about uh, you know Phil, <laughs> and when I and when I asked her what the the toughest part of this golf course was, you know if it'll be a great mental test, she said it's going to be a great test of endurance, and she said you know <laughs> she said the bad news for me is that these championships and the women's open have gotten tougher and tougher every year, you know the course of her career. And she's gotten older. <laughs> so, she's like, <laughs> so she's like, it's a bad mixture. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, you know, this, this is a little bit of a different uh, physical test than, um, than what Phil faced at Kiowa. But, um, but I certainly, uh, you know, I mean, I, it's certainly something that, that inspires, you know, I think everyone, whether you're, you know, an, an LPGA uh, rookie or, or you're, you know, in your early forties, like Angela Stanford, when you see what Phil did of, of what could be possible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, read your article, um, that came out the other day on, on the pairings in the fields. Beth, and if, if you're there and, and you may have the opportunity or may not this week, I know you're going to be busy, you know, putting out a, a lot of work. Um, who are you following on Thursday? There's some, some great groups in there, but who are you going to drop the world for and go follow? What's the group that you want to watch? <laughs> well, it's the first time that the Corda sisters have been paired together in the opening round of a major championship. So that's, uh, that's an exciting thing. Uh, it's extremely exciting for their parents who usually <laughs> are having to walk 36 holes every day uh, at the start of a tournament, because it's not just that they're paired together. They're usually in opposite ways, almost right. every single event. So uh, it's, it is uh, highly unusual that they're, I mean, the first time they had an opening round was in Ocala uh, back in February. So <laughs> for their entire career. So, um, so I think that's fun. They're paired with Soyan Yu, obviously a two-time major champion and former number one. So that's a great group. I think from a, an entertainment factor, uh, you know, if, if I was a fan, I'd, I'd want to come out and watch Paula Creamer. Christy Kerr and Michelle yep. Wee. And Michelle Wee, yeah. Yep. Three of the Michelle Wee West. I keep doing that. Michelle Wee West. <laughs> three of the uh, the uh, all time fan favorites. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, all three have won U.S. Open titles and and 
and Chrissy and Paula are playing on a special exemption this week. And, uh, and, and Paula, you know, grew up near here. And, you know, I just think, you know, you know, I, there aren't, there aren't high expectations on, on any of those, the players in that group uh, for the week, but I think it would still be fun to watch. Um, yeah. So Beth, we'll be keeping a close eye on that five uh, 13 group. You mentioned it, the the power group with, with our girl, Brooke, uh, local here, Lexi and Patty. Um, that'll be the group that we'll be watching for sure. Oh, that'll be a fun one. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm I am extremely interested to see how how power plays into things this week and how much of an advantage it it really is. Amazing. Um, what does this week look like for you? Uh, are you going to be you know really pumping out the work and doing your thing? Or are you going to have a or have a good opportunity to get out there and and uh, and see the ladies and and see how this golf course and this championship plays out? Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful to. Uh to get out on the golf course quite a bit uh but it's uh it's it, i i usually write several items a day so <laughs> so it's uh i usually try to get out in the morning to watch my golf and then kind of have to uh to stay inside the rest of the way and, and to be able to talk to players as they finish so um but you know it's there's a it's going to be a, a lot of television hours this they've really upped the coverage uh, this week, and uh, and I think it should be a, a fantastic show. I'm really excited to see how this golf course looks on television. And, and my favorite thing, and why it's so important for women to to be able to play these historic venues, you know, is that the buzz that it creates. You know, people mm-hmm. get so excited to tune in, you know, to 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 watch Olympic and to watch these women, you know, play Olympic for the first time, and you you can feel that on property even without fans yet, you know, but we'll have fans on Thursday, but no fans earlier in the week, but you just still feel that, you know, that, you that know, buzz. That, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. And it, it's, it's about darn time. And, and that's uh, awesome to hear. Beth Ann, we're going to, uh, we're going to let you go here. Let our listeners know where we can find you throughout the week and find you um, 365 days a year. Um, let our listeners know uh, via social media, your articles, all that stuff. Yeah, so I, I write for Golf Week, so golfweek.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Golf Week Nichols. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm always pumping out stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, I'm, I'm always tuned in to you, so it's, it's, uh, I really appreciate your time. Enjoy the, uh, the championship. Really take everything in. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear the buzz is there. And uh, have a really good week, and uh, appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, listeners, hope you enjoyed that uh, analysis there from Beth Ann Nichols live from Olympic, historic Olympic golf club for the U.S. Women's Open this week. Lots of coverage going on, so uh, make sure you're checking that out. And to none avail, we have the Dutchman here. Dutch, come on in. What'd you think of uh, Beth Ann live from uh, live from Olympic? You're on a roll, Ginger. You're on a roll. That's two two live guests, two major major golf outings, and. Uh, and well done. Actually, it was uh, it was really nice and refreshing to hear a, a female voice on there and 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 talk golf. Uh, her knowledge was great, and and to be at Olympic Club, which she talked about, which was an honor on having all those the events from the the four U.S. Opens and then the USGAs there as well. I think that was the amateurs that she was talking about, and it's just yep. nice for the for the ladies to get out on a on a on a course like that. It's going to be an amazing 
test. Uh, and you know what? I always talk about this West Coast, right? I always talk about West Coast. It's going to be fun to watch. You know, folks, if you only watch the men's tour and, you know, dabble the odd time in the in the senior tour and, you know, for our listeners with Weirzy on a roll right now, um, don't forget the ladies. The ladies are uh, they're here and, and, and they're rocking and rolling. And that the, the when she was talking about the youth and you guys got into a conversation about, you know, is it is it you know, why is there such a difference? And, and yeah, I agree with her. She's bang on. She talked about just, you know, they, they mature quicker and, and, and they're they're getting stronger um year by year so that's why you're seeing such a young talent out there and it's going to be exciting to watch for sure and she meant she touched on the two amateurs that have had an amazing amateur collegiate career and it'll be interesting to see if one of them can fight for it it'll be great yeah and there's no doubt and what I, what i always have enjoyed about the ladies and you know what is you know as we play the game competitively and, and in some you know local professional tournaments is we play similar yardage as to what you're going to see this week. So for me, when I, when I watch these ladies events, I always, sometimes a lot of times I enjoy watching it a little bit more because I can envision myself going to Olympic club. If I ever had the opportunity to go there and playing it at a yardage at about 6,500 yards and, and not like I would never step back to a 7,400 yard T deck because that would just become completely unenjoyable for me. Yeah. You know, every once in a while to test and, to show you know how good the, the the boys are on tour but i always enjoy it because you know we had the opportunity to play athletic club and and we've seen some some usga uh junior events from the female perspective there and they played very similar t-decks to what we played on the day that we played there so i always find that pretty cool yes if no doubt and it, it gives you the the proper perspective on the on the way that golf course is and, and i would say the same thing you know 67 6800 would be as far back as you'd want to go on a place like that and you know they're going to have it have it dialed in. I I would be shocked if under par wins this this week for sure, no doubt. It is the U.S. Open and and they're the same. It's just like the the boys PGA Tour. Uh, they're going to have that golf course in fair but difficult shape, just like Beth Ann said. Um, so it'll be a, a really good test just to see. And uh, you know what? I'm curious to see. I know uh, we're going to have a little fun and we're going to throw a couple picks. And so I'm curious to see. Uh, which route you're going to go down but in any event um, it's exciting down there and it'll be fun to watch and uh, we can't wait to watch a, a five o'clock start for Brooke Henderson on a, on a Thursday I mean it's going to be amazing I know I'm going to be watching it so it'll be great good coverage and I love the uh, the evening golf yeah and there's no doubt and you know what it's um, it's a great track historical track like we've talked about and, and a traditional parkland golf course and what I think is going to be crucial is is that how bunkered these greens are and and how protected they are and, and how they use slope and undulation to really try to play tricks on, on the golfers. And I think a key thing that she mentioned there is, is that for, for everybody, you know, watching throughout the course of the week, keep an eye on that weather. Um, if it's only going to be 59 degrees, especially there in the, in the midday or even throughout the morning and, and it takes a while to really warm up, um, look out because that's going to make the golf course even longer and harder. Right. So, yeah. And she talked about, you know, she, she, you know, she, him then hot about the length and, 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 and then back to accuracy. I mean, ultimately, you know, winning major championships, you, you need to be dialed in around the greens and at Olympic club with, with how difficult, like you said, the complexes are um, length is going to be a factor. The strong ones that can hit it out of the rough, possibly, you know, you've, you've got the likes of just like she had mentioned uh, MB park of, of, you know, being a, a, a crazy major winner and she doesn't hit it that far, but I think that it's going to be a combination of length and, and he, you know, she who putts 
and, and picks the best around that place is going to come out victorious and, and be a major U.S. Open champion. Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. And and she talked about some of the, the young guns and the young kids. And you know, I broke down the field quickly. And and to give you an idea, thirty amateurs playing this week, Dutch out of a field of one fifty six, forty golfers will be making their major debut at uh, at the U.S. Open. So, you know, I didn't get into it too much with her, but I really feel that this is going to be a, a big guns golf tournament. I, I, as much as she mentioned those amateurs and they may be kicking around for, you know, two or three days, but I really think this with this golf course, with this field, I think everybody on that board within the top 20, we're going to know, and we're going to have heard of. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, I agree there. I agree there. And there'll be some pretty high scores too, for sure. So I'll be interesting to see when it all shakes down, but I, I couldn't agree more. Well, then let's get to it. Let's uh, let's get to our picks for the the U.S. Women's Open. We don't uh, we don't always do picks for the ladies side, but this is a big major, and uh, we had a great guest on with Beth Ann. So uh, so who do you like this week? So we're going to pick two, correct? That's right. We're going to pick two two okay, guys. Well, well, I got to stick to, and we're not going to take Brooke. I don't think you are as well, even though we're going to be cheering for her, and I think she's got just as chances as everybody. But you know, I, I'm I'm going to stick with what I said to you originally, and. Uh, have to keep have to have a Korean uh, as was one of my uh, as one of my chances here, and that's uh, C Young Kim. I just think she's suited perfectly for this golf course. She's playing real good golf right now, and and I think she's poised to to make a good run. On the other side, um, you know, Beth Ann had mentioned it. It's going to be very unique because I don't think we've ever seen this even in in men's PGA Tour professional golf, and that's the Quarter Sisters. They're actually playing together, and I thought that was amazing when she told. I had to look it up to see because I'm interested to see how they're gonna you know, play together in a professional event. But I just really like Nellie Corda. She's seventh in driving distance on that tour. And I think she's a bomber. Um, and I think that if she drives the ball well, that's going to be a huge factor that could ultimately uh, get her into that, uh, you know, be that American that's going to be coming down the stretch to win. Yeah, that makes sense. I like those two picks. And, and I agree. If there's going to be, if there's going to be an American to win, I think it's going to be one of those, uh, one of those two sister, sisters. I think it will be tougher for them being paired together i agree um, i think it'll be tougher on them to really contend and uh, you know because that that would be tough in the terms of you know if one gets going really really well and one gets going sideways um you know it's always tough to kind of pull that back especially in a big event like that so so true it'll be interesting to see maybe they'll feed off of each other maybe they'll have fun when they're out there it'll be interesting to see if they're if they're ultra serious or you know if they they walk down the fairway and, and chat at all uh yeah i'm, I'm curious about to see what it's going to happen it, it'll be fun yeah kudos to the the usga for putting that together um yeah who do you like it best Ann mentioned it um hey she's probably the number one favorite going into this week she's 10 to 1 uh ninth in 2018 in, in this us open Tied for 16th in 2019 and tied for sixth in, uh, in 2020 in B Park. Um, she's going to be in the fairways all day, every day. Yep. And I think she's going to hit the greens and her short game solid enough uh, in major championships. I like MB Park. And my sleeper pick, 66 to 1. She's shown pretty good form in 2018. She was T10 in the U.S. Open. Tw- uh, 2019, she was T16. And uh, tied 30th in the, the makeshift one last year because I know the ladies got rushed and it was a little bit of a, a mumble jumble at, uh, at this event last year for the ladies. But yeah. uh, still T30th. I'm going with the English lady herself, Charlie Hall, as oh, my, my-, uh, my sleeper pick. 
All right. All right. Well, we're going to look for that one for sure. I, you threw me off on that one and that's, that's good. You did your, uh, you did your homework and it's nice to pick somebody, uh, somebody that's the lesser known, I should say for, uh, for our listeners. So awesome. I'm looking Love forward it. to it. It'll be a fun well, event. Well, before we, uh, before we shift over to the, uh, to the PJ tour and, and review our picks from last week and get to this week's picks at, uh, at Jack's place. Um, let's just quickly touch on, on Mike Weir and, and Alex Jacob with another victory. This, the PGA, the old boys, the, these new guys always seem to come out and take, you know, two or three events and a couple majors, and then they turn 52, 53, 54, and they just fade away, and it's the next crop of guys, no? That's exactly the way it seems, but, you know, kudos to check it. I mean, two starts, two wins, two majors. Um, like I said before, that senior tour is alive and well, and, you know, Stricker looked good early. Weirsy uh, fell apart, obviously, on, on the back nine, but, you know, hopefully that doesn't break his confidence uh it is it's fun to watch and like you said yeah i think once they get past that whatever i don't know if it's a 55 or whenever they get past that number you're right they do fade away what i really wanted to see and and i know some of the boys on the tour wouldn't have liked it but how cool would it have been to see nicholson probably the only time anybody clearly because he's the oldest guy ever to win on the PGA tour, a major. So could you imagine him going to the PGA championship and going back to back on both? I mean, it would be record books and nobody, I don't think would ever touch that record. I, I, I really, really wanted to see him go there. Cause you know, they would have let him play. Oh, for sure. They would have let him play. Yeah. Never even, never even thought about that. And that actually would have been brilliant. That would have right? been absolutely the coolest thing. Back to back majors. Back-to-back majors, the same PGA Championship, a week in, week out, and nobody's ever done that, and nobody probably would ever do it. So, no, that would be interesting. It would have been cool. Uh, that would have been a 100-year record plus, probably. Yeah, 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 I agree. But in any event, it was good, and, uh, you know, good for where, where's he for keep going, and I don't think he's going to, you know, he's he's he, whatever he's fixed and been working on, I think he's he's going to be there for the next, uh, at least for this season. He's still right up there in their uh, in their. Schwab standings there so he's he's doing just fine nice I love it well let's flip over to the PGA Tour before we uh we send our listeners off to break and we we come back with a little uh football synopsis um another solid week we we were we were fixed and and set there with with Finau and Rosie um to make a nice little run with a few of our guys on on Sunday and they all just kind of faded away on us but uh we were we, you know we weren't too far off yeah, they, they just, you know, like you said, they kind of fell apart a little bit on Sunday. Um, you know, there wasn't many great scores on on, on this on that golf course, which is obviously a, a staple on the tour. Um, hey, you can't win them all. We were close. So we, we had an awesome run for four or five weeks there, and, uh, and I'm pumped. This tournament is always absolutely one of my favorites at Muirfield. I, I can't wait to see what the changes are. This is probably my favorite golf tournament outside of the, the the four majors and of course the players i just you know what it the golf course is just spectacular and we we have to take a road trip we've talked about it before we've got to so i'm really jacked to see what uh the the changes that jack nickel that that jack's done and i can't wait to see uh to see them play it's an amazing field one of the best of the years again and uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good test yeah you're right um you know what he he, he put his hands and and changed and molded 16 out of the 18 holes from what I'm hearing. So it's going to yep. be uh, completely different. They've changed the uh, the green surfaces over to strictly uh, to bent grass. But still the tough golf course that we know, 76.9 uh, rating, 153 slope. And um, the fellows are going to be playing it at almost 7,400 yards. Dirty. Um, what I love too, and, and you touched on it, is 
for me, this is another one of those golf courses that you always, you know, you don't want every week to be like this Dutch, but you know, every other third or fourth week, you know, you, you almost know every single hole. Like yeah. you, you, you can, you can almost play in your mind around the back nine. Like it reminds me a little bit of Augusta when we come to Jack's place, because you, you know, you know, the holes and you know, you know, some of the shots and, and you're right there along with the guys and you really feel like you, you know what's going on as compared to, you know, it's nice to see new golf courses, but when you get those new golf courses, you're still trying to learn them a little bit. Right. So, right. Right. But when you get a, a golf course like this, you know, you just can't get enough of it for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's going to be so meticulous and it'll be in, in, in perfect condition. I already saw some of the, the, the pre, the pre-show. I know we're only in Tuesday, coming on for a Wednesday uh, air, but it looks spectacular. And I, oh, I just cannot wait to, to watch it. So you started us off with the ladies. So I'll kick us off here with the men before we yeah. get off here. I'm going to start from the bottom now we here. And, and on my take a flyer pick or my dark horse pick of the week, listen, I'm going to go all the way back to 2014. You're going to laugh at me here, but T37, T5 and 15, T11 and 16, T15 and 17, T18 in uh, – or sorry, in 2018 he was T60, a little bit of an off uh, season or event. 2019 he was fifth outright, 30th in 2020. And if I told you after that record and those seven years that the guy I'm picking is still 66 to one, I like my chances on that because all I want from a take a flyer pick is get me to the weekend and give the guy a shot, and that's Mark Leishman. I'm taking Mark Leishman. I like the Leishman. I think it's a good pick. All my right. other pick, rock steady pick of the week. He's been uh, playing real good golf. You know what? His odds are a little bit higher, but I think he's going to be there. Um, listen, he was T9 uh, in 2019, T13 in uh, in 2020, and he was 76 in the first round. Still finished T13. He won the WGC uh, match play. T4 in Zurich, quietly tie, uh, almost a top 20 at the PGA. Billy Horschel, 60-1, to one, taking him. Love it. Love it, and I said I said Leishman. I meant Australian. I don't know why I said Englishman, but so I just, just to correct. The That's okay. No worries. And uh, I'm taking my big gun pick of the week, and I'm taking three guys I haven't taken all season here. It's just an FYI, twenty-two to one. Two thousand nineteen, he was T fourteen. Two thousand twenty, he was T thirteen with a seventy-eight in the first round. And listen, he was T four at the Wells Fargo, tied for third at the Masters. Um, Almost, almost should have been the winner. I'm taking Xander Shoffley, Team Callaway, as my big gun pick of the week. Uh, let's hope Xander can get it done. Those are good, some solid picks. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's it's nice for us to shake it up, um, you know, as we make our picks. Listen, I'm I'm going to go strictly with guys that have had success. There, um, I, I've got two past winners, and and I have a, a real cool dark horse at 105 to one. And I'm literally just going to talk stats about Muirfield. Um, so my 105 to one, he's had some mild success here. You know, he said a T13, he said a T17, T32, T39. And those are all in the last five, six years. He's just been playing. Love it. He plays a solid golf there. I don't know if he can win, but he's right there. And that's Kuchar. Uh, Matt Kuchar. I just, I just, he always seems to be in the mix there for a little bit. Let's hope he can put four rounds together. Jack, Jack must have a ping pong table in the basement or something. The Kuchar just gets fired up for this event, right? He, he must, he must, he must like walking in that park for sure. Um, at twenty three to one, um, you know what? This is the type of tourney that he can win, and he proved it in two thousand and nineteen. He took it down. He was also fourth outright in two thousand and eighteen, and he had another two t thirty five in seventeen. And that's Patrick Cantley, another team Callaway. So I'm really looking for big things this week with Cantley. 
I like that pick, like both of those picks. And, and my my stud of the week, I, I don't get me wrong. I, we all know that you know you're not going to see odds at four to one, five to one, six to one. Obviously, golf there's a ton of guys in the field, and we know it's hot higher. But you know he's not the favorite. He's a little bit farther down, and I was just shocked to see him at seventeen to one. Um, just fantastic odds for for somebody that that won this event last year, even though it was quote unquote the work day, and that is. Colin Morikawa. He had a T14 last week. He's just at that peak form to make another run here, win this event, or real come real close and look out because if he keeps on a roll there, um, who Tory Pines, look out. Yep. Took the words out of my mouth. I, I feel I, he. Listen, he might not win this week, right? And, and if if you're looking for the big payout and you want him to win at Tory, you probably don't want him to win this week. I still like the pick, Dutch. But I, I love the pick for a few weeks from now at Torrey Pines. Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, like you said, it's it's interesting, and I love we're just dialed right in watching it. And golf's uh, golf's back in Ontario. We're 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 pumping through tons of rounds at our place, and it's just so exciting to see. And everybody's excited to play some golf, and I know we're excited to to watch it, talk it. Um, we're playing more ourselves, and uh, you know we're gonna have another PGA event up at our golf course in in July, and I'm I'm excited for it. We're actually gonna play in the event, and hey, golf's golf's great, and, and it's it's awesome to to be talking it, and uh, and thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. So we'll add, with that, we'll uh, we'll send the listeners off the break. Make sure you uh, check out our golf picks every Thursday morning. We got them up by 6:30 a.m. That way, all of our listeners can log on and put a few shekels down. On the on the GND picks, hope you enjoyed our our great um, analysis of the U.S. Women's Opens uh, U- Women's U.S. Open this week. Check out our golf picks, and we'll catch you on the flip side. I cannot believe I got suckered into doing a break for Ginger and Dutch this week. They must be getting pretty desperate to reach out to me. I feel kind of hypocritical doing this. Like, they aren't even my favorite ginger in Dutch. Andy Dalton is my favorite ginger. I like Orange Drank better than ginger, too. And, and Alistair Overeem is the best Dutch. And, oh, uh, I think I already started recording. And you better be listening to the Ginger and Dutch podcast, a real-life passion for real-life sports talk. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold Skinny said so. Oh, hell yeah. All right, folks. Welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there. We said goodbye to Dutch. We're now on to the football side of things. And as we uh, work our way through June, the football schedule slowly starts to wean away here. I know OTAs are kicking up and a lot of things are happening, but in terms of movement, we've moved through now phase one, phase two of free agency. The draft is done. We've done our review. It's now maintenance time. It starts to slow down. We get some OTAs. We may get some injury talk, some last-minute trade talk, the last wave of our remaining free agents and some movement here, but uh, let's start with every let's start with what everybody's talking about, and that is Julio. Get the stretch, and that is Julio Jones, Pro Bowl, All Pro, Hall of Fame wide receiver, ten years in the league, seven years over twelve hundred yards, five for four or five seasons with over a hundred catches. Still, in my mind, one of the top four or five receivers in the game. And it's not very often that this happens where a wide receiver of this magnitude 
becomes open on the trade market. And we're hearing everybody, and, and of course, rightfully so, we should hear everybody. Uh, a wide receiver of the caliber of Julio Jones becomes available. Every goddamn team in the NFL should look and explore. So to hear this news about the New England Patriots and internal talks and all, that's a bunch of bullshit in my mind. Of course every team's going to talk about it. The Buffalo Bills are going to talk about it. The New York Jets are going to talk about it. This is Julio Jones we're talking about here. This is a this is a Hall of Fame player who, in anybody's mind, and in my mind for sure, still has two or three really productive good seasons to give. He is still going to be a number one wide receiver. He's still going to provide so much for your quarterback, a consistent target. He's going to still open up the offense because he's going to be the number one target. So whatever receiver you got there is now in place, is now going to get more looks, more touches, more targets. So he provides so much for any team that he's going to go to, um, whether it be returning back to Atlanta for one more season or uh, getting traded. But here's my top five targets, and there's a couple teams on there that – that I think, you know, this June 1st rule definitely changed some things in my mind over the last couple of days and before I did my prep here for this, but still might be a little bit tough. And my my number five team is a little bit of a sleeper, a little bit of a dark horse, and they may need to move a piece or two, but that's the Cleveland Browns. Um, tons of cap space. You want to make a push to go after the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And, and go for a Super Bowl in Cleveland. You know, you've got the defense. You've added throughout the draft. Was I sold on, on all their draft picks? No, and we've talked about that. But, um, hey, you, you've got the cap space to go out and get this guy. You know, you, you may have to maneuver a piece or two or, or, you know, OBJ might be involved. But you gotta you got to like OB or Julio better than OBJ. Um, he really hasn't been a huge target for Cleveland. They've done a lot of this without him. Um, you, you know they got the two-headed monster in Hunt and um, and Chubb, who's the home run hitter. So they've still got that ground and pound running game. They've added more depth along that offensive line in case of injuries, which we saw. So I like the Cleveland Browns as a little bit of a dark horse here, and possibly send an OBJ back in that deal. By the sounds of it, you're going to need either a first or um, a package with some second-round picks in there. My number four team, and at the start of this offseason, we talked about quarterbacks and the rumblings and someone not being happy, and that was Russ. What better way to make Russ happy than to go out and get Julio Jones? Listen, uh, 2021 might be a stretch. Julio's coming over at at you know 28-plus here. And, and Seattle's only got 7.25 right now on the books in salary cap space. So they would have to do some wiggling and some moving. But they've got $48 million in 2022, which means moving forward in the future, you're not going to need to leverage too much of the assets that are in-house now. You still might be able to bring in some, some assets um, in, via free agency. We know that DK is going to, this is year three for DK, so he's effectively at that point where when Julio's out over the next two years, you might be able to lock up, as Julio goes out, you might be able to lock up DK as that number one receiver and pay him as a top five, top ten wide receiver in the NFL. You've got Tyler Lockett. And make a two-year push with with Russell Wilson and see um, as we start to move up uh, year eight, year nine here, 
with Russell, and I know it's it's crazy to to talk about that he's been in the league that long, but he has. Um, it's time. It's time to go back to the Super Bowl and time to make another run here before um, Russell hits that that precipice and starts to go downhill or go to, onto the back nine of his career. My number three team. Okay, I had. Cleveland at five, Seattle at four. My number three team, another just absolute sleeper. But listen, they've got twenty million in cap space in twenty twenty one and fifty one million in twenty twenty two. They've got the firepower. They've got eleven picks in the twenty twenty two draft. So picks will not be an issue if that's what Atlanta's looking for in this deal. And that is the LA Chargers. You've got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton. Why not go add Julio Jones? Go ahead, include Guyton or Williams in that deal. Keenan Allen, Julio Jones on the outside for the for the young QB. You've still got Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield, catching balls with a little bit of running game. I like it. Sleeper pick, the LA Chargers coming up to grab Julio Jones. And then the, the two teams that, that everybody's talking about, my number two team, and I don't want to say it, but they still need improvement out on the outside. They've got 16 million right now in cap space in 2021, and about 30 million in 2022. So, not not quite where they want to be. They've only got five or six picks, I, I believe, six picks for the uh, for next year's draft in 2022. So, uh, in terms of picks, they don't quite have the same firepower as the Chargers do. But you know, New England, um, when they want somebody, they're going to go get them. So, I got New England at number two. I think they're going to push here to try to really make an improvement. Uh, I just don't think uh, Bill wants to completely rebuild this, and I think getting Julio for the next two, three years here um, is going to help his quarterback situation. It's going to help Mac Jones out if he gets in. It's going to help Cam Newton out. There's a relationship there. We've already heard Julio say he wouldn't mind playing for the New England Patriots. I think it's a possible fit. And my number one team, we posted it up on our social media it's Baltimore. It is the Baltimore Ravens. Nine picks in the first five rounds in next year's draft. You've got Hollywood Brown, and then you've got question marks. Yeah, you drafted Rashad Bateman, but you've got injury-prone Sammy Watkins there. Okay, $10 million in 2021, so you're going to have to maybe maneuver something, um, package another player out to, to make this work in terms of the cap situation. The June 1st thing will help a lot. $41 million in 2022. I think the Baltimore Ravens are the number one target for Julio Jones. Pair him up with Lamar Jackson. That'll give you a, a true test or a true litmus test on whether Lamar Jackson is an NFL quarterback here in 2021. A couple other teams. Uh, the Tennessee Titans. I just can't see that happening I, I, with their cap situation, with their pick situation. I think it would be a far stretch. I know they've been involved in talks there, but uh, real tough to see that happening. The Colts, why not? And the Raiders, why not? So a couple other options there for the Julio Jones chat of 2021, and we move to the offseason. News today, nothing pressing, nothing imminent. This is going to be a long process. A lot of teams are going to have to get their ducks in a row especially now even here with June 1st, June 2nd with this new rule change and and stuff opening up, you know, the Minnesota Vikings saving 7.9 million with the cut with Kyle Rudolph and being able to transfer it over to 2022. The Chicago Bears cut Charles Leno saving 9 million. Denver Broncos, Juwan James saving 10 million. So there's tons of cap space that's open, not tons, but there's some cap space that's opened up 
even the Buffalo Bills um, converting over into a signing bonus on Stefan Diggs on a part of his contract, saving $8 million. So there's always going to be these ebbs and flows in terms of cap space and maneuverability and movement in the NFL. But um, it, this is going to be a long, drawn-out process. I don't think Atlanta's done yet. I have a sneaky feeling they f- still feel that they can be competitive, and I think they have Julio in mind in that competitiveness. I think they would still want him in the building. But they're also have a little bit of you know looking ahead, looking forward to you know beyond Julio, beyond Matt Ryan. What is this squad going to look like? What is this roster going to look like? So I think we're going to be into into the dead of training camp before we see this. Maybe even weeks before the start of the season could even be an injury, a severe injury that kind of really facilitates this trade and really forces a team to go out. Um, and try to get a wide receiver like the likes of Julio Jones. To end off this episode, we're going to finish it out with Phase 3. My top 5 free agents still available out on the market right now. And we're going to start with number 5. We talked about him last week with Jake Liskow um, from the Locked On Bengals podcast. And that is Geno Atkins of the former Cincinnati Bengals. I know Geno's 33 years old, coming off of a heavy injury, but you know what? He's you don't fall off like that. This guy's been a monster all year or monster all his career. Played eight or nine seasons, had one major injury, missed eight games, but other than that, he was 16 games played, 16 games started. He was in the lineup. He was available week in, week out on Sundays. 2019, 47 tackles, four and a half sacks. At the defensive tackle position. you And I understand, you're getting up there in age, but you don't just fall off like that. He's still got something to contribute here. There's still a spot for Geno Atkins in this league, and I think that spot is in Cincinnati. That's, I think, the lead candidate for, for Geno to come back to. But don't be surprised if you see the likes of a team like San Fran trying to bolster their defensive line depth and really build that position back up. I think Geno Atkins has got a lot to give. He's my number five free agent still on the market right now. Number four, not very often you see this, but um, a couple, four and three are a couple younger free agents here um, coming out onto the market, 25, 26 years old, both both having some injury history, but um, still got a lot to give. And my number four pick, or my number four, um, top available free agent still left out on the market is Malik Hooker, safety out of Ohio State. Listen, 30 tackles, two to three interceptions for his entire career here. I think he still can be a productive player, still can be a productive box safety. A couple spots that, that, that I see potential landing spots, and I know he's been in and around the mix here over the last couple weeks. But I think, you know, he's been with the Bears and a couple other teams. Seattle, I think, is still looking for some some safety depth. I think he can come in there, plug and play, and really offer. Is he a very similar player to Jamal Adams? Yes. But we've seen what, what that secondary looked like. And if you can add a Malik Hooker and really put him into a specific role on that squad, there's no reason why he can't come in there and be productive. Next up. The Jacksonville Jaguars. <coughs> Pardon me. 
Ohio State, Urban Meyer, familiarity. Jacksonville's looking to add some depth, some talent onto this squad. I love Malik Hooker going to the Jacksonville Jaguars there. I think that's a real, real possibility. 25 years old, can can sign a little one-year, two-year prove-it type of deal. Lots of incentives. I like Malik Hooker on either of those squads. Number three, coming off a big, some some injury, has some injury, injury history here, but um, weak side linebacker for the New, New, or New Orleans Saints last year, 26 years old. He's a productive player, can really do a little bit of everything. He can cover, he can get to the quarterback. I think he's still got a lot to give, and that is Quan Alexander. He actually played for a couple teams last year, bounced back and forth, even Sam Fran in there. A couple teams that I think could look at Quan Alexander and, and really almost one team could plug and play with with the loss of Michael Kendricks. One team is uh, specifically a depth role, and the other team is definitely a starter role. I'll start off with the with a couple starters first. First one, the Washington football team. Loses Michael Kendricks. I know there's talks there bringing him back, but I think Quan Alexander fits that defense, fits that role, could add some speed to it, to that front seven, some playmaking ability. I like Quan Alexander replacing Michael Kendricks in Washington. Second starter role, reconnect him with his defensive coordinator from Tampa Bay and his head coach, and that's Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith's now the D coordinator for David Culley and that coaching staff in Houston. Love Quan Alexander going to the Houston Texans. And my last pick for a spot or my last landing spot for Quan Alexander would be the Minnesota Vikings. Strictly on some linebacker depth. We've seen to, we've seen what's happened to that linebacking core with the loss of some depth or injuries over the last couple of years there. So I think it would be a nice Pickup, nice depth pickup for Minnesota to have Quan Alexander, veteran guy, been in the league for four or five years, could really help out that linebacking core in terms of injuries and really come in on sub packages, specific plays, stuff like that. You could find a role for Quan in Minnesota to help out. My number two and the one everybody's talking about, and probably number one on a lot of people's lists, but that is 34-year-old Richard Sherman. Coming away from San Fran, I know there's talks for him going back there. We've heard the rumors for him returning to Seattle with Pete Carroll. couple landing spots for the corner. Listen, is Richard Sherman going to be able to line up and play man-to-man at the corner spot? No. Is he a step slower? Yes. Can he still be productive in this league, being heady and, and knowing the game inside and out? You're darn right he can. So there's a specific team there's going to be a specific fit Richard Sherman is not a dumb man he's taking his time he wants to see just like we talked about um, on a couple podcasts ago with Sam Fran what type of defense D'Amico Ryans is going to be running there traditionally D'Amico Ryans playing the man-to-man defense Jonathan Joseph Houston that's what he grew up with that's what he played with in the NFL is he going to change that team that Robert Sala defense and Sam Fran to more of a man defense. If that's the case, I don't see Richard Sherman going there. Okay? A couple spots I do see him connecting to. One uh, we talked about is Seattle. Reconnecting with Pete Carroll. Number two is also reconnecting with a couple of his old coaches and defensive coordinators. And let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. Dan Quinn, new defensive coordinator there. 
get a veteran guy in the secondary. Put a veteran guy in the secondary room. Would be a nice, comfortable pickup for Dan Quinn and the Dallas Cowboys. And the best landing spot in my mind would be the New Orleans Saints. Chris Richard, back with his old secondary coach from Seattle when they had the Legion of Boom on a veteran low type of deal. I know New Orleans doesn't have a lot of cap space, so this would be a nice depth pickup to try to be able to cover some of the dangerous weapons that they have within that division from the likes of Carolina, Atlanta, and of course the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You need to be able to cover. I think New Orleans or Dallas or Seattle would be good spots for Richard Sherman. My number one top five free agents still left on the board 32 years old, coming away from the L.A. Chargers. Still got a lot to give, coming off some injuries, but can still be very productive. And that is Melvin Ingram. This is a double-digit sack guy. Seven and a half, eight and a half, ten, ten and a half sacks. Not too long ago. And I know a lot of teams talked about him at the trade deadline this year, but I think the likes of Seattle, Cincinnati, Las Vegas can all use some pass rush. You look at a team like Cincy or Vegas that's on the way up, making a little bit of push. I think there's availability there for Melvin Ingram to come in and make an instant impact with any of those squads. Triple G listeners, that's my top five available free agents still left out on the board that I think can make an impact. As we move forward here throughout the football offseason and into July, we're going to get into team-by-team breakdowns, getting updates on OTAs and what's happening as we move closer to the season. Thanks to Beth Ann Nichols for coming aboard live from the U.S. Women's Open. Another great jam-packed episode. Make sure you're tuning in next week. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We got constant feed going on there. Thank you for tuning in. And hope you enjoyed a little Triple G. Triple G.